Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Matt Hoffman, who is a photographer and the creator of the Face of Comedy Portrait Exhibition. And uh, we had a chat about all sorts of things from mental health to breweries uh, to his attitude to comedy and his work. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation. I very much enjoyed having it. I wanted to say thank you to everybody who has subscribed on Patreon in the last month. It makes a massive difference and um, I, uh, on an emotional as well as a financial uh, level, it makes me feel very supported and I appreciate it very much. Uh, if you are subscribed at the $25 level, send me an email and we'll have a Skype chat. So far, all of them have been really lovely and thank you everyone who's also come to the shows. Ethos in Melbourne, it opens in Sydney tonight. If you want to come, it's at the Enmore Theatre at 7pm tonight, tomorrow night and Saturday night, Sunday night 6pm and then I go to Perth from the 10th to the 12th. So if you're in either of those places, do come along and I will be in London uh, from towards the end of May and uh, doing shows all over the place there, including a one-off of the trilogy that I did in Melbourne. Sorry for that. That's me leaving my computer to bing at you. I apologise. Um, but it was great. It was great to do the trilogy in Melbourne and now I've been asked to do it in London as well at the Museum of Col Comedy on, I think, the 1st of June. Uh, double check that. But it is at the Museum of Comedy and tickets are available. So if you're in London and want to come to that, do, do, please do. Uh, thank you everyone who tweets about the show, tells their friends about the show, uh, just listens to the show. Thank you to, um, and by the show in this instance, I mean Tea with Alice, which is this show, which is me having difficult conversations with interesting people. It is an, it's a project that I started some years ago in order to see what would happen without any external input. So normally if you're doing comedy, you're doing it for a particular audience or you're writing an article to a particular brief or for, for a particular publication. I wanted to see what would happen if I just, it was, if I just started doing something uh, that was just what I wanted to do. I kind of hoped it would be funny. It is not. It is what it is. It's me having tea with people and talking about um, difficult things. And it's sort of become more than that because we're in a time now where people are not necessarily interested in nuance, particularly in the media. We don't see many sort of in-depth conversations. You don't see many people changing their minds or being uncertain. And I think it's such an important part of discourse. I think it's such an important defence against tribalism, against this kind of aggressive certainty that people use as a shield and uh, use as a way to write other people off entirely. I think it's important to talk about difficult things in a careful and kind and thoughtful and human way and it turns out that that's what um, this podcast is for me at least I hope it is for you as well uh, email me if you have any thoughts alicerfraser at gmail.com tweet me at alliterative a-l-i-t-e-r-a-t-i-v-e my shows in Sydney tickets are available on frontier comedy or, or frontier.com available via Google um, and I will be doing some uh, bugles in uh, America remotely via Skype as well as various other things coming up that I will try to keep you up to date with and again I have rambled too long I'll let you listen to the conversation which I had in Melbourne uh, with Matt Hoffman do continue listening I'll see you next week you're having tea with Alice
So, who are you and what are you drinking? Uh, my name is Matt Hoffman and I'm drinking uh, Earl Grey tea. Ah. With, without milk. Without milk. I'm, yes. I'm having an oolong myself. I love an oolong. Uh, when I don't have green tea. Mm. That's, my, that's my descending order of preference. Yeah, right. And then Lady Grey, probably. I don't think I have an actual order of preference. I think I just, whatever I have available at home is the tea that I drink. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. What, what have you been up to recently? What have you been wrestling with? Anything that's been scrabbling around your brain recently? Yeah, I've been, um, I'm going through a big transitional period at the moment, uh, kind of career-wise. Started like midway through last year, I had a few things happen and so I've been um, trying to work out the best direction to take my life really because um, uh, halfway through last year I had uh, a business fall down uh, and a relationship fall down kind of within a couple of weeks of each other and it was just like, like the two, you know, oh, uh, the two major aspects of your life kind of like relationships and work um, both kind of disintegrated in front of me like within a very short space so I kind of had to, like it took a while to uh, kind of get back on track and work out what I wanted to do because I had all these ideas and, and things but um, coming out of those two things there was a lot of failure failure attached to it like so um, yeah it, um, eventually I started doing this um, uh, portrait thing I'm doing at the moment and that was my way of kind of steering my way back but um, I'm still trying to work out uh, what I kind of want to do, um, what I want to focus on. So you say this portrait thing, like our listener knows. <laughs> do you want to do you want to explain that? I think it's a really interesting project. Yeah. So I uh, so about September last year I started. I had I had the concept quite a while ago, but September last year I decided that you know this is now I'm going to do it, um, and it's basically I wanted to take a hundred uh, portraits of comedians, um, just from the whole kind of scope of comedy like everything from writers to stand-up to s actors to sketch to there's so many and I've and I've been finding more as I went along um, and I originally wanted to do it as a book and then I was like oh no let's do it as an exhibition first that's kind of the easy route to go I don't know if that's necessarily true now that it, now that it's all up but um it's it was something that I wanted to do to a because there was a part of me that didn't think I could so I really wanted to stretch myself and go, you know, this is a, this is a quite a massive mammoth task. There's nothing like a couple of big failures to make you feel less afraid of the smaller failures. Absolutely. Um, and that was part of it. Like um, th those couple of failures, like the business and the relationship, they were both, I mean, certainly I contributed to it, but there was a lot of stuff out of my control as well um, that happened. But uh, this was something that was in my control. Like the whole, the whole entire project is something that... If it doesn't work, it's it's all on me, and I and I was quite happy to take that on because I was like, I'd, I'd rather that. I would much rather try something and fail and go, okay, but that's you. It's not out of your hands. Yeah. Um. So, um. I, yeah. Started like when I started the process, I didn't even know I wanted to do a hundred. I just wanted to do a whole bunch, and then eventually just went, just, just do a hundred. That's a it's silly. A that's a that's a good round silly number. So, um. So I started. Yeah, I started doing that. Uh, last September and uh, started with my housemate uh, Sam Peterson um, and a few of my mates. I've got I've been working um, in the comedy industry for a while now, and I've uh, you know gotten to know a lot of uh, great people, and uh, quite a few people got on board early. Um, and then it kind of the 
kind of the chain reaction of positiveness from doing it uh, spread really quickly and uh, a lot of people wanted to be involved and it became this really lovely thing that I kind of was able to create myself but also made me go, oh yeah, you can do the thing, it's fine, like, you know. Um, so why did you choose comedians? You're not a comedian? No, no, not a comedian. Um, I, as much as I'm not a comedian, I've, I've always loved comedy and uh, like growing up, uh, you know, in the 80s, comedy was like a big a big part of, uh, you know, what I'd watch on television, like all the Australian, you know, Aussie grown uh, sketch comedy and, you know, fast forward and comedy company and and then, you know, all the sitcoms and stuff that we used to do. Um, I used to just like run home at night and wanted, and get my parents to let me stay up so I could watch all these shows on TV. And so comedy and uh, the comedy festival is something that I got interested in quite early insofar as not wanting to be a part of it, but just loving it, you know. Loving that it exists. What, yeah. do, what do you think, other than making you feel good, or maybe that's just it, what do you think comedy is good for? Um, I think it's... I. I think that comedy does and most of it is about you know trying to you know garner laughter from people but um there's a lot of unique aspects on life and perspectives that comedians bring out i find like i think um even what seems to be like the blandest styles of comedy always seem to have a um a viewpoint that you haven't considered before about things and i really love laughing at something but learning learning something as well if that makes sense like just going oh yeah i never thought of that like or I'd never thought of something that way before i really love that aspect of comedy yeah i think often even with as you say very straight down the line observational comedy they're either drawing attention to something in you that you do or mm. you go holy shit people do that yeah which or, I think is nice. Or even just little things that are uh, that you have about yourself that you never tell anyone. You go, oh, they do it as well. Like, I'm not the only one that does that silly little thing. Um, yeah, just like that all-encompassing kind of, like, relatability of a lot of the things they talk about, but also things that you just never thought of before. And so that was why you decided on doing portraits of comedians? Um, yeah, yes and no. Like, I'd, yeah, I'd always been interested in it, but probably for, like, the last five years... Uh, sorry. Um... Uh, the last five years, most of my friends, I'd say, are comedians. Um, and so when it started out, it wasn't just about wanting to take photos of comedians, but about also wanting to take photos of my friends. So because um, I find a lot of them so creative and inspiring that I just want to take photos of them. And they just happen to be comedians. So it's like much easier to... Um, much easier to... Um, gather them together and I guess like instead of it being so um, broad I was able to just go I'll just do comedians but then even within that it's certainly not broad at all there's such a massive scope of different styles of comedy and what did you want to capture um, like the the original uh, idea that I had was to yeah put put comedians in different situations like conceptually and just like kind of bring out their personalities but um, also, at the time, I was, I was brewing and I was managing bars and all that kind of stuff. So time and money-wise, I had no, like, no real opportunity to do it. Uh, so once all this stuff happened last year, I kind, of went, I kind of took a step back from that idea and went, how can I do the same thing but make it quite compact and easy and uh, still kind of get the same thing? And I wanted to kind of 
capture more than just like a comedian on a poster. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to be selling anything. I didn't want to be trying to, um, you know, take photos of people trying to, or like performers, or, or sorry, or like characters. I didn't want to have anyone like putting up a front. I really wanted to have that like kind of raw aspect of just people sitting in front of me who happen to do comedy. And uh, if, if you are a listener, you can find those pictures online and they are very much straight down the camera, not trying to make your subject look beautiful or glamorous or... No. Um, no, I, I wanted to keep it quite raw. There's a, a photographer from Britain, um, Platon, who does... He did a portrait series of world leaders and he was able to get people like Obama and Putin and whatnot and... Those photos, he took some, like, the photos he took are quite close um, and very, very um, kind of uh, intimidating, but very raw and, like, um, it's that kind of part of those people you've never seen before. And that's kind of one of the things I wanted to kind of have a mix of, hey, that's that person, I know that personality, but also, oh, wow, I haven't seen that side of that person before. So I wanted to kind of capture those two things if I could. I mean, it's a really interesting project and it's also you're giving money to... Uh, Beyond Blue. So I, um, yeah, when I, uh, when I initially conceptualised everything, I, I really wanted to um, do this for something good. I wanted to take a skill that I had and be able to make, not just like create something out of it, but trying to do something good with it as well. And um, yeah, like a few years ago, I went through a fairly rough patch. Uh, I went through some mental issues beyond blue helped me immensely they've helped friends of mine as well and it was just like whenever as soon as i thought oh, i want to do this for like give the money to charity like it was straight away i was like oh beyond blue that's a natural fit for me and it's i know there's that whole kind of uh stigma of like mental health and and depression and stuff in the comedy industry but that wasn't an overarching theme at all it was more about me personally just going this is who i want to um give the money to if I could, anyone. Yeah, I've often wondered if comedians are more depressed than other people or they're just more willing to talk about it. I think it's... Uh, I think they've got the platform to talk about it a bit more, but I think it's also... No one's going to fire you. Yeah, that's right. But also, like, I, I, I don't think they're more depressed than anyone else. I think mental illness runs rampant through every, every industry. But um, I think there's also that kind of juxtaposition between sadness and laughter as well that kind of really like the whole sad clown thing it's kind of like that um that contrast between a person that's on stage trying to get you to laugh that inside is sad yeah so i think that kind of uh puts a spotlight on i guess depression in that industry in the comedy industry yeah i mean that is incredibly uh pertinent i think there's a lot of a lot of people who struggle with that so it's a great mm. cause what else have you been wrestling with um, I don't want this to turn into an infomercial <laughs> shoot, although it's it's well worth seeing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like on the on the personal side of like kind of behind the scenes of all that, there's um, like I said, I've you know I used to brew beer and and manage bars a lot, and I'm still working in a bar at the moment. But um, that kind of like the beer side of things, I've I've had a really huge interest in for quite a while. My mates opened a bar up in Brisbane, and all that, and like I helped them out with that, and. 
Um, I've always had that massive interest and always wanted to be part of that industry, but I've also had that creative side of me as well. That's, um, you know, I went and did a film degree and I, and I do photos and I film stuff and all that. And I've kind of always wrestled with like, which one's going to be the career and like, but then at the same time I was like, well, I can do both, but I'm kind of getting to a stage now where I don't feel like I can do both. So, um, why, what's that stage? Or is uh, it that you can't do them all as well as you want to? Or I think I just don't have the focus to be able to do both. Like I, I've noticed, especially after last year when the um, the bar I was working in with um, the business collapsed, I felt like I'd given that a good go, and um, my kind of interest in it had started to wane a bit. Like I still really love being part of that industry, but I just noticed that I. The more I did it, the more I um, wished I was doing the other stuff, like photography and, and creative stuff. And um, But it's that also that thing of like working in bars and whatnot, is, it's so much more stable. So it was like that was the massive pro of that side of it as well, was like just having a job that, you know, pays my rent and whatnot. And then the creative stuff was a bit of a hobby. But I now really want to try and make a play for doing more of the creative stuff and trying to sustain myself that way. Which is, uh, it's kind of scary, but also I really want to do it. So, you know. Again, the failure is sort of in, in your hands as well. You have exactly. control over how much work you do. Now, as I am a non-drinker, mm-hmm. and I've never drunk anything in my life. Yeah, well. What is fascinating to you about beer and brewing and managing bars? What is good about it? Um, so, the managing bars was just kind of... Uh, there was a just a fun aspect to trying to um, have a place that people could come to and, and I really enjoyed like people would come in and, and talk to you at the bar. Like most of the bars I worked in are quite small, so I really enjoyed that kind of social aspect of just like working in a place where I could just sit down and talk to people and, and all that kind of thing. Um, as far as the beer, um, I just always had a well not always, I used to drink pretty shitty mainstream beers when I was younger, I think we all did. Um, but I remember probably about six or seven years ago, me and my mates, or my mates kind of introduced me to like all the craft beers and all that kind of thing. Um, and I got involved in helping them open their bar and um, met a lot of brewers and whatnot and became really, like there's such a kind of scientific uh, uh, culinary aspect to, to brewing beer that was that just fascinates me. Like, like the fun side of chemistry yeah. in school where you get to put one thing in another thing and watch it turn into something else. Exactly. Like it always fascinated me how people could just take these ingredients and then it comes out of a tap at the end. And I and like so learning about the process of how to do that and like it's hard work and it's like you really it's it's a simple process that's so complex. Um that I just and there's so much to learn and every time I did it I was just learning more and more things. So I just found it really fun and the community is also like the craft beer community is actually really inclusive and really fun and um yeah it was just nice to be a part of it all and 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 learning all those things as well but um yeah i i tend to not drink that much anymore like i don't and i think i've also found that i don't i never drink to get drunk like i used to before all this but um, it's always about, it actually sometimes upsets me that I, I want to try more different things because I actually find them really enjoyable, the taste and all that kind of thing, and that I can't because I get too drunk and then I can't drive or anything like that. So I have to, um, like, I would literally still drink it if it was non-alcoholic. So 
for me, it all just smells like off bread. Yep. What is a good beer? For me, um, oh, I mean, it's so crazy subjective for everyone else, but for me personally, um, I, I, uh, it's hard to explain. There's like there's different styles of beer that I really like. I really this like. This is big a show about wrestling with ideas. It's true. Try right? and explain. Okay, so give it a shot. Um, I, I there's two kind of. There's such a wide variety of styles of beer, but like the two main ones that I really like are so big stouts. Like um, I like the kind of sweet. Uh, like you can a lot of people like barrel age them now in like bourbon barrels and stuff like that, and you get all this like toffee and vanilla and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just like, especially when it's cold, just sitting down with a big glass of stout and just it's nice and warming and that kind of thing. But then I really like um, just kind of nice bitter refreshing pale ales as well so yeah I, I don't know it's just always like as I've learnt I think as I've learnt about how to make it it's kind of made me appreciate all the things within it when I'm drinking it if that makes sense um, so I can always like whenever I try a new beer I can straight away go oh they've done this or they've done that and there's a fun to having that knowledge yeah there is now we can cut this out if you like but yeah so, how do you feel about the ethical side of it? I mean, you know that, that there are people who have trouble with alcohol. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's, I guess that is a hypocrisy in there, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's absolutely, like, I mean, I've always, like I said, for me, like, I don't even like drinking for the alcohol part of it. I like drinking for the taste of it. Um, a lot of people... Uh, alcohol and and you are kind of um, by making an alcoholic product you are pushing it uh, you know um, yeah that's I don't know that's, that's something I haven't really you don't have to have an answer yeah to yeah I don't I don't really have an answer to it because like I'm, it's I guess there's a lot of a lot of different industries that are exactly the same um, yeah that's true I mean my bias is obviously from the opposite end of the spectrum as somebody who has never drunk i yep. don't understand what is good about it and yeah. i equally don't want to write it off entirely because there are clearly benefits yep. to it otherwise people wouldn't do it yeah but yeah for me it's always seemed foreign i think um if you take it as something by itself yeah absolutely there's problematic things in it i like it more for the social aspect of it i think you know not to say that you should be able to you know you, you can't go out without drinking of course not but like like i said with managing bars having people coming in and having that social aspect of um you know having a beer with someone and talking to someone and and that kind of thing like that's that's the part of it that i really like i i, I am aware that you know there's obviously it's an alcoholic beverage it's a drug so there's problematic things to it as well um you know, I used to be a smoker and I'm asthmatic and that's the dumbest thing in the world. But like I, um, so now, now when I see people who are smoking, I'm like, why are you doing that? That's so stupid. But it's because I'm coming from that point of view. But yeah, I don't know where I'm really going with this. I'm no, just kind of, <laughs> would, yeah, you, would you blame the tobacco companies for smokers? Oh, I blame, yeah, tobacco, government, all of it. Like it's, it's, I think a huge industry that preys on people's weaknesses. Absolutely. And then, I think uh, the more huge mainstream businesses are always that's that's what they do. They prey on um, you know people's weaknesses to sell their product, and you know that's across so many things. And 
in the alcohol industry as well, absolutely. Do you think that's why the sort of craft beer side of it appeals to you? Yeah, it's like I, I like the aspect of it of um, trying to make a good quality product. It's not like most, I'd say all the brewers that I know uh, that work in the industry, they, they have a genuine love of trying to make a really good product. It's not about, obviously they're running businesses and they want to make money, but it's not ju- that's not the underlying thing. It's about, hey, I'm, this is my passion and I want to do it. Um, it's not about cutting corners and doing all that thing. It's about making something good, um, you know. And so, yeah, I forgot where I was going with that as well. No. <laughs> Sorry. I think you've made a good point, um, or at least an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, but you have ethical principles about other things. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm vegan. Uh, I've been vegan for about five years Uh I was vegetarian for about six years before that, so it's been quite a quite a long time since I've eaten meat. Uh, that all came about from ethical reasons; it wasn't a health thing or anything like that. Um, and it, that was just a really simple decision of not wanting to be a part of an industry that um, takes advantage of voiceless sentient beings. Um, and it's and it's as simple as that for me. And uh, I. Like when I was vegetarian and didn't eat meat, I, I still felt hypocritical because of the whole dairy side of it. So eventually I turned vegan. Um, and which is, you know, surprising to some people because when I meet them for the first time, I'm quite a large dude. So, um, you know, people are like, oh, you're really okay. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know. That's uh, interesting because you said straight out of the gate, not for health reasons. Um, so that's clearly a kind of a perception that you would struggle with. Um. As far as other people thinking that I must be healthy because I'm vegan. Mm. Um, You must be doing it for health reasons. Oh, okay. Um, No, I think it's... Vegan uh, and unhealthy at the same time. No, I think um, a lot of people that I know have become vegan for different... I know plenty of people that have become vegan just to be healthy and people that do it just for the ethical reasons. And I don't know why. I mean, I've never done it for the health reasons. I'm sure sure it's a healthier lifestyle. Uh, But that's just not why... I took it on, um, but there's no reason you can't be both either. Like, absolutely, can be you try and be healthier and ethical. Like, there's no reason not to. Arguably, it is ethical to try and be as healthy as you can, so you're not a burden on the system. I guess but that's true as well. That that is uh, that's one of those weird ones. I've been thinking about that because it is, uh, you know, the reality is we have a public health care system, so if we become ill and we don't have private health care or health insurance, then we are asking other people to pay for our illness. Absolutely. But at the same time, I really don't like that argument when it comes to victim blaming or fat shaming or any of those other sort of, all the kind of, again, stigmas around mental health that stop people from seeking help because they don't want to be a burden. Yep. And that's a, that's a disjunct in my own mind that I find it difficult to reconcile. Yeah, I've seen... Um, Particularly my mum was sick all of her, all of my life, not yeah. all of her life. She was diagnosed when she was like 26, 27. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've seen things like people trying to push like a sugar tax and things like that where it's like, um, you know, if people don't eat so much sugar, they won't get so fat and there won't be such a burden on the health industry. And I think that's not the way to go about it. I think um, you really need to get down to a very base level of like at schools and whatnot is teaching children how to be healthy and how to not be a burden on the system. I think it all goes down to um, 
right back when you when you're young you need to have that foundation of you know this is what's healthy and this is like this is fine for a treat or whatever but um and i also think that it's kind of i guess it's i i certainly don't think of like uh vegan uh, of everyone having i don't think it's going to change where everyone's going to be vegan overnight i don't think that's a realistic goal by any means um so i've never uh, you know, I do say certain things online, but I've never been super preachy about it, and I never really tell anyone unless they ask me about it. But um, I do find a lot of uh, problems with how a lot of people that are vegan go about the way they try to force those views on other people. I mean, can you specify what you mean by that? I, th- I have, I think, I have a sense of it, but I'd, yep. I'd like to clarify what you mean. Um, I think, sorry, I think I actually tracked off to something different from what I started talking about. But, um, but basically what I was saying was, like, I don't think that, um, I think that when kids are at school, they should be taught um, exactly where the food comes from, exactly um, what is on their plate, whether it, be, whether it be vegetables or whatever, where it's coming from and how that process gets there. And I think, like, there's a lot of um, disconnect between the food on people's plates or the, the food in supermarkets or whatnot and where it actually comes from. And I think most people don't connect those things and that's why, and it's just, oh, I'm just doing the same thing I've always done or what I've been taught or what I've grown up with. It's one of the reasons why uh, direct translations of um, mainly Chinese restaurants are quite confronting to Westerners when they say something like sheep's intestines. Yeah. Because that is not something that we in the Western world are used to confronting. Yeah. Because, uh, and that's the thing, I mean, it comes, down to, uh, it comes down to everything from every culture. It's like you end up um, mostly um, believing or being a part of the culture that you grew up with. So if, like, if you grew up in a meat-eating culture, you're going to eat meat. If you grew up in a certain religion, from a certain f- religious background uh, that has traditions, you're going to follow those traditions. And some people break away from them, but for the most part, like, I mean, where you're born is like pretty much who, what you become to a point. Mm. Like I you know, the whole nature versus nurture thing, but... um, Yeah, I mean, this is one of my kind of hobby horses that you've just accidentally stepped on, (laughs) that expecting people to be able to think their way out of their own box. Yeah. That to see the rightness of your position as self-evident is Mm. not just silly, it's also counterproductive. Yeah. And I think maybe that brings us back to the end of the point that you started on, which is that there is a way that certain vegans approach trying to convert people that from a rhetorical point of view is worse than useless. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I got to being, I I ended up being vegan from my own experiences and I can't give those experiences to anybody else and I can't put myself in their mind frame either. And I think that's the same as everything. Like, you know, I know people that are like, oh, I can't believe he committed suicide. Like, this is going back to mental health, but I can't believe he committed suicide. That's so selfish. It's like, yeah, but you can't put your, your brain in their brain to know where they were like because for someone to do that i mean that's a that's a huge thing and just because you can't comprehend it doesn't mean it that it wasn't there for them yeah and i think that's across the board with everything it's like veganism or whatnot like you you come to those understandings from your own experiences and no one can give those experiences to you you have to have them yourself well yes the closest you can get is trying to explain your experiences in a way that they can hear yeah so for example when it comes to the 
the people I think you were referring to when you were talking about very active vegans online, mm. often the way that they approach things is by trying to horrify yep. people. They'll send them pictures of you know, animals in terrible pain and terrible torment as a way of trying to prompt in them the compassion that they yep. feel. Or even just straight out... Um, abuse of like you know i can't believe you're doing this thing you know how can you do how can you do this to innocent things and just kind of make like trying to um denigrate people's own experiences into thinking oh you know how you know, trying to say that you know i'm right and you're wrong i think well from a pure human nature perspective from a pure again rhetorical perspective argumentation perspective it seems like they're not even trying to convince their opposition no. Like it doesn't take a lot of it doesn't take a lot of sense to know that that is not how you convince someone of something. Yeah. It's not how you convince a child not to take a biscuit. It's not, you know, it's That's right. not how people work. Yeah. And it's it shouldn't be that way, but if you're having an argument with somebody, say I'm having an argument with someone and they go stop being such an irrational woman, even if I'm being irrational, even if I'm on my period, that isn't going to convince. That's only yeah. going to make me angrier, and maybe, maybe I'll have enough self-possession to think my way out of my own head and go, "Well, actually, yeah, you're probably right, even though you've just flicked me on the raw." Yeah. But the great likelihood is I'm going to think you're an asshole. Yeah, and you're I'm just going to walk gonna, away from you, and that's what I'll remember. You'll get argumentative and you get defensive. That's and that's the first thing that happens is you just get defensive because you feel like people are attacking you instead of trying to educate you. Which is one of the things that I like about comedy is you bring people to you and you drop them into your shoes and you, you have the opportunity in an hour-long show to you know, do that thing like where you're trying to show someone a point on the horizon and you bring their face really close to you and you, you point your fingers, they can look down your arm and see what, what it is that's your perspective. Yeah. But yes, I think we are getting away from really basic principles of argument. Oh, absolutely. Like uh, there was a news story that came up from a few months ago of the, of the the vegan protesters who went to the steak restaurant and started yelling at everyone and I'm just like no why like that's so like that that's not even that that's not a vegan that's just you being an asshole like that's you know like that's you walking into other people's lifestyles and going you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong and I don't think that's yeah what is the outcome you're looking for what is your goal what is your ultimate goal if you are wanting fewer animals to suffer you're probably better off getting behind a meatless mondays type campaign yep you know or talking to supermarkets about waste or trying to get the use by date on steak extended because yep. use by dates are conservative and if they don't have to throw away the steak after a week then that's fewer cows that like that's you're probably going to get like animal per animal more of yeah. an impact on the world than if you shouted anyone in a steak restaurant. Yeah, I think um, going after people personally uh, doesn't help change the system. You need to go after the system. I've never spoken to a vegan who said I became a vegan because someone shouted at me in a steak restaurant. No, I don't think anyone has. If, like, if I there certainly is didn't. anyone, please email me, alisarfraser at gmail.com. I want to hear your story. <laughs> I, uh, like, I um, first became vegetarian when I went to – my sister was vegetarian before I was, and she lives in New York. And I went to visit her and um, for a month – this is, like, 2006, 2008 or something like that. And um, she – so while I was with her, I just ate vegetarian because she was there. And it was fine. Like, I didn't have a problem with it. And I, there'd always been, like, little things in the back of my head of, like, not feeling right, kind of uh, consuming meat. 
so when I did that, it felt quite natural. But then also on the way to the train station from her place every day, I'd have to walk past a live butcher where you literally, there's just like screaming animals and blood coming out everywhere. And I was, I was just like, nah, I'm done. That's like, that's enough for me. Like, I can't see that. And like just watching people walk in and go, oh, that one, please. And that one, I'm like, oh no, what is going on? Like, this is, something's broken and like not wanting to be a part of that anymore. But that's my experience. Like, that's something that I saw and that I went through that changed my mind. And it and wasn't... arguably a live butcher is the best end of that industry. Yeah. In that, you know, it's not the factory farming end. Uh, yes, I mean, like, these animals were in very small cages that people were going and picking out of. So it was like, yeah, it was a, it was super gross. Like, I just, like, I couldn't stomach it, I couldn't look at it. And it's something that's in my brain now that I'll never get rid of. So whenever, um, whenever people uh, try to discuss or argue or debate or anything when it comes to, you know, me being a vegan or the vegan lifestyle, it's, uh, I, I literally just think back to that and I go, no, those, those, animals had no choice to be where they were like that was just it and it was like no different to me from like putting a child in a cage like that like that like it's taking something that can't make its own choice and has no voice and just torturing it like i couldn't be a part of that anymore as a thought experiment mm-hmm. just as a wild out there thought experiment, yeah, yeah. have you read uh, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i have you know the cow that they've bred at the restaurant at the end of the world who sort of volunteers to be, you know, they've managed to breed this cow that is happy to be eaten and, in fact, volunteers and is very invested in the process of itself being eaten. How would you feel about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, is that from Restaurant at the End of the World? Yeah, I don't I think, think so. I've read that book. I've, re- I've only read Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh. But... Um, but if there if there was such a cow, um, I think yeah. I mean, if it if it gave its consent, it's all about consent. If it gave its consent to being part of that thing, then absolutely. Then why not? And then how do you feel about um, what what are they calling it? Um, petri dish meat. Oh, that stuff. Um, I'm a bit on the fence about it. I don't really know. Like it's. See, from my think, perspective, it's sort of the solution. But yeah, and I think it is. Like I think. If you're trying to create something that, um, I mean, people do go on about, oh, why do you eat fake meats and stuff like that if you're vegan and you're not trying to get away from that? Because, well, it's like, it's never been about the texture or the taste, you know. Um, It's about what's behind it. Mm. And so things like, uh, you know, when I was young, I used to love quarter pounders from Macca's and things like that. And like, um, and I probably still would if I knew that it was, ethical to me to my moral standards so you know if there was a way of doing that i'd i'd absolutely eat it <laughs> so um that yeah meat. that's what they call it that meat that meat yeah Which right they need to rebrand that if they're going to get people i think on so board. yeah they need a marketing company um but yeah absolutely i mean like it, if there's no cruelty behind it if it's uh like i said it all comes back to consent i guess is that's the baseline of everything like it, not one of these being sentient beings has given their consent to be a to be a resource, which is what it essentially has been boiled down to is you're using them as a resource to make money. Yeah, well it's one of those things that's always sort of confused me. One of the things I used to get in trouble for at the law firm that I used to work at was talking about ideas in the abstract. So mm. for example, why the Catholic Church is not investing in incubator technology to close the gap between 
early and late term abortions so that women who want to have abortions could be offered an alternative, which right. is to say, oh, we'll take the child and raise it in the Catholic Church because we're running out of priests anyway. For me, that's the perfect solution, at least in a, you know, in a conceptual world. Yeah. But f- even sort of raising that kind of thought experiment, I think, was very uncomfortable. I'm certainly uncomfortable at the lunch table in a law firm. Yeah. Um, but equally, yeah, I think every vegan should be in- investing in vat meat. Absolutely. Um, yeah, when I say on the fence about it, I just mean like I haven't tried it and I haven't really investigated that much. So, I mean, I think at the moment it's both very expensive and not yeah. very pleasant yeah. to eat, but it is a technology that is being, like it is, a ma- I think, a matter of time. Yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, I don't know how it's made, so I don't know how it's, you know, agriculturally, if, if, what the kind of effect, you know, the carbon footprint and all that kind of thing behind just that is like... Um, so, I mean, maybe that's problematic to a point. I have no idea. I've never investigated it. Like, it, the simple part for me for vegan stuff is just literally I just don't want to be a part of an industry that um, takes away the life or tortures uh, beings for no other reason than to try and make money. And I know that there's, like, a lot of people who have said, oh, yeah, but what about ethical meat with, like, farms and all that kind of stuff? And, yeah, that's, that's fine, but I've come too far. Yeah. Like well, I just you've drawn I, your line in the sand. I, yeah, exactly. And I just um, I feel like sometimes I don't I don't need to justify it. Like that's I just don't want to eat meat anymore. Like it's not within my taste thing anymore. It feels gross. So yeah. um, I've come too far to to go to, to for all that hypothetical stuff. Fair, fair enough. Where can people find you online, Matt Hoffman? Uh, so you can go to Facebook and look up Matt Hoffman Media for my uh, media projects, or on uh, Instagram at matthoffman.media. Uh, and I'm currently building a website, so it will be at matthoffman.com, but I'm currently in the middle of building that, so don't look just yet. Don't look just yet, and happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you for taking an hour out of your birthday to have a very late breakfast and some tea with me. My absolute pleasure.
turns around for to view her frames, crying down your doffers, cry up your hands, loudly right fold all, loudly right fold And when the boss he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doffers he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lally rifles all, lally rifles day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lally rifles all, lally rifles day.